Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. Oh, it's really, really different and, and so much better. I, I think that's why I got kind of addicted to learning languages, because once I realized that I can use it when traveling, that's even better, right? People open up to you in a very different way. So when you just speak English uh, and, and you travel around the world, you will definitely meet a lot of people who speak English, right? But there are a certain type of people from, let's say, countries in Latin America, right? If you speak Spanish fluently, you can talk to the mother of your Couchsurfer, right? And you can find out about stuff uh, that uh, your Couchsurfer will tell you differently because, you know, he studies somewhere at a university and meets different type of people, but she's this local woman somewhere and... Uh, like, yeah, it's just, it's just the, the stuff they tell you and they open up to you. It's very, very different. This is the Maverick Show, where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to the Maverick Show. My guest today is Dr. Lydia Makova. She is a location-independent entrepreneur, polyglot, and Ted Speaker, originally from Slovakia, who currently speaks eight languages fluently. Slovak, German, Spanish, French, Polish, Esperanto, Russian, and English, in which we'll be conducting this interview today. She is also currently learning Swahili. She learns a new language every two years, spending the first year going from zero to fluency, and the second year focusing on long-term retention techniques so that she can refresh the language effortlessly even after a long break. She has learned all of her languages while living in Slovakia without studying abroad, attending courses, or paying for teachers. And her TED Talk on language learning currently has over 6 million views. She has been an official interpreter at high-profile events, for people ranging from Tony Robbins to the former Prime Minister of Slovakia. She is also the co-organizer of the World's Biggest Polyglot and Language Enthusiast Conference that brings together over 500 polyglots from 50-plus countries, and it sets Slovakia's record for the most languages spoken under one roof at 125 languages. 
Lydia is also the founder and owner of Language Mentoring, a company that helps students learn any language in the world from anywhere in the world using Lydia's customizable approach to language learning. It is a company with a distributed team of 12 women and has thousands of satisfied customers from all around the world and won Lydia the award of most innovative businesswoman in Slovakia in 2017. Lydia, welcome to the show. Hi, it's so great to be here. Thank you. So awesome to have you here. We need to just set the scene for the listeners in terms of where we are doing this interview right now. You and I are in person on a boat in the Red Sea. We have just opened a bottle of Chilean Cabernet Sauvignon, which is pretty solid. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> Love it. So we're going to be drinking through that bottle throughout the interview. And then for our, we also have water glasses, which are actually champagne flutes in which we have poured our still water. So we have champagne flutes full of water and wine glasses full of Chilean Cabernet Sauvignon. So I think we are in good form to begin this interview. That's awesome. Cheers. I must say this is the fanciest way I've ever conducted an interview. So <laughs> I love it. Well, I appreciate that. We here at the Maverick Show like to provide a number of firsts. I know you have been interviewed on a lot of media and been on a lot of very high profile stages and in interviews. And so if I'm able to do anything for you that is a first time and will be memorable, then super, super excited for that. So I am so excited to have you here. You and I actually just spent the day together yesterday in the country of Jordan, and we went to Petra, which was my first time there, and I know it was your first time there as well. And I would love for you to just share your reflections for people that have never been on what Petra was and how you found it. Oh, it was amazing. I started to take pictures at the beginning, like, oh my God, this is so cool. Look at that cave in the background. And then you go on and it just gets better and better and better. So it's really beautiful. It's 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 a must-see for most people, I would say. Yeah, absolutely amazing. You should definitely do Google image searches of Petra, P-E-T-R-A, if you have not been there. But unbelievable ancient city carved into the sides of rock mountains and just absolutely stunning to be able to walk through it in person. Really, really special experience. And now we are actually on the Nomad Cruise. And so that was our one of our stops. And then our next stop is going to be in the country of Oman. And so currently we're heading through the Red Sea. And then we'll be going through the Gulf of Aden and uh, get to Oman, which will be cool because neither one of us has been there either. Exactly. So new countries together. Awesome. But we have a few days here at sea. And so lots of wine on the boat and thought we'd turn the microphones on and uh, introduce you to the Maverick Show audience. So I'm super excited to be doing this with you. And I would love to start just by having you talk a little bit about your upbringing in Slovakia and what your initial sort of interest in languages, how that initially developed for you. Right. So I come from this small country of Slovakia. Many people don't even know where it is. <laughs> so maybe a brief introduction. We are in the very heart of Europe. So we claim to actually have the very center of Europe, even though many other countries claim that too. And uh, so, yeah, it's a very monolingual 
country and monocultural country. So uh, we all learn languages at school. We I started with English at 11 and then German at 15. But that's just something that we normally do. But we don't really get to meet a lot of native speakers, at least when I was growing up. The first English native speaker I got to talk to was when I was 15. So it was uh, linguistically, that was kind of an interesting country to, to uh, grow in, uh, especially because also my family is monolingual. No one really was into languages. And yeah, so my, my interest, I don't know where it came from, but I just started to get really interested in So languages. you studied languages at school, right? Growing up in elementary school, high school, that kind of stuff. And then where did your real passion and love sort of develop when you said that you think this is kind of what you want to do professionally? How did that evolve? Yeah, I think I was 16 when I decided I want to be a professional conference interpreter. So uh, that's when I decided to work with English and German. And that's when I, why I studied those languages. But I didn't have any ambitions to learn a lot of languages at that time. That only came afterwards when I was already studying at a university. And uh, yeah, and then I started to kind of learn one language after another. So when you were back 16 years old and you were in high school, were you learning the languages in the traditional regular classroom setting that everyone's familiar with and your teacher gives you a textbook and you do your homework and you come into class every day and then you recite the vocabulary that you memorized or you take the test or whatever it is? Like, was that the way that you learned your initial two foreign languages or were you even at that early of an age starting to develop your own methods? So that was the basis of my learning, for sure. Uh, and uh, once I figured out that I actually like these classes of English and German, I wanted to spend more time with that uh, after school. So I learned more and more, but using the boring old traditional school methods because I didn't know anything else. I didn't I didn't know any other people who would learn any other way. And so, yeah, I, I, I would say that school helped me learn English and German, let's say to 30, 40 percent, maybe. All of that, all of the rest, all of all of that was actually my my own work uh, afterwards. Can you talk a little bit about that? What made you decide to start figuring out additional methods outside of the teacher classroom structure? And then what were those for you at that age? Let's just say, what were those methods that you implemented to learn the language at a higher level? Yeah. So with English and German, while I was still at high school, I would just do a lot of grammar exercises because I thought that's what language learning is all about. And I read books because I at that time, I wouldn't have a lot of resources online. The Internet was slowly coming to Slovakia, but we didn't know about I mean, we didn't really have access to many, many websites and yeah, I mean, watching movies uh, would be one of the things, but I didn't do much of it. But the real change started when I started to learn my first language by myself. That was Spanish when I was 19. And I only started to discover new methods because I failed with the traditional way. I signed up for a class. Uh, there were 25 people in it and we met once a week and we were supposed to learn Spanish that way. And after going to these classes for three months, I realized I did, it didn't get me anywhere. This just doesn't work. And so I started to experiment a little by myself. And I don't know how I got the idea, but I decided to read Harry Potter in Spanish. That was my breakthrough method. And I got an audiobook and ebook at the same time, all in Spanish. And I decided that I'm just going to do 20 minutes of that every day before going to sleep. Just listen and read, listen and read, and we'll see where it gets us, right? 
Well, at the beginning, I understood words like uh, Hermione, Harry, Dumbledore, right? These were my safe words, which I was pretty <laughs> sure I know what they mean. And then slowly, it was really magical how uh, by reading more and more of it, I started to understand more. And so I got curious about the grammar. It's like, oh, why is this sentence like this? Let me figure it out. And so I looked up grammar because I already found it in that book. And I knew the book really well because I was a big fan of Harry Potter as a child. So that helped me too. And seriously, by the end of the book, I could actually understand it. And it was fascinating to me. So this was actually one of the first methods that I tried by myself. And it it was definitely not something that a teacher at school would tell me to do. So I experimented by myself. And once I figured out that it actually works, I continued with other methods. Amazing. And so what was that process from for Spanish? Because that was your fourth language, right? So Slovak is your native language. English and German were your first two foreign languages that you brought to fluency. Spanish was then your third foreign language that you brought to fluency. So what was the process to get that for you, the whole process to get it to a point of fluency? So you did the Harry Potter experience. And then from there, how did you get it to a level of fluency where you can, because you can now obviously walk into a Spanish speaking country and you're, you know, converse with the natives fluently. So how did you get it to that level? And then I suppose by getting it to that level, then really prove to yourself that this method works for getting zero to fluency. Right. So after the after reading the Harry Potter book, I was really surprised how much vocabulary I already understand. But then I actually went out in Bratislava. I went out to a disco and I met some Spanish speaking people and I wanted to talk to them. And I figured I actually can't. I understand what they're saying, but I cannot say anything. So I figured hmm, maybe I should practice speaking somehow. Like I kind of figure out that I cannot be able to speak the language if I haven't practiced speaking. Right. I just practice reading and listening, passive input, but not any active output. So I decided to find someone with whom I could practice. And there was a student from Mexico at that time studying in Bratislava, and she was really eager to learn English. So I said, why don't we meet up like once or twice a week and I'll help you with English. You'll help me with Spanish. And so we started meeting regularly. Right. And we became very good friends. We started to hang out together and we practiced Spanish in this very natural way. And there was a little test, actually. It was six months after I started learning Spanish by myself where I was supposed to meet this friend of mine. And she was late. And then she came up really like excited and there were tears on her on her cheek. And she was, I was like, what happened? And she was really, really excited. So she started speaking at a super fast level. And she was telling me that she just, she just saw an accident and she almost got run over by a car. And she was really excited. So she was not careful about the way she spoke at all. And I, in this uh, exchange of emotions, I asked her everything. Are you okay? Is everything okay? You know, we just had a conversation for a few minutes. And after this conversation, a friend of mine who heard it actually looked at me like, did you just understand that in Spanish? Were you able to have that super fast conversation? And that for me was a breakthrough moment when I realized like, oh, wow, yes, actually, after six months of learning the language, I was able to have this conversation, right? So it really took me just six months to become kind of fluent in Spanish. And that's when I realized, wow, what did I actually, what have I done? Like, how come this worked? And I just kept doing more and more of that and reading, listening, speaking, and yeah, getting it to super fluent level. And then doing that without a language. And too. then you do it with another language. And then once you do it with an additional language after Spanish, then you've really reconfirmed that your process exactly. works. And then you can just repeat and just choose the language that you want to learn, repeat the process and get to fluency there. Exactly. Okay. Here's my really, really important question for you, which is that you study a language, you get it up to a fluency level. What's amazing about you <laughs> There's a lot of things that are amazing about you, but one of the things that is uniquely amazing about you 
is your ability to retain fluency in eight languages simultaneously. That for me is unbelievable. I will travel to a foreign country, right? And if I am living there for, you know, two months, three months, I will make an effort to learn some of the language so that I can have some basic conversations with people that live in that country. And then what will happen to me is I will leave that country and then I'll go to another country and I'll start maybe learning a little bit of another language to convert. And I will forget everything that I learned in that country. I mean, it will just go. So, you know, I feel like most of my language learning efforts, even the ones that have gotten to the highest level, which has never been to a fluency level, I don't think in, you know, but even if they get to like a conversational level, they really subside quickly when I leave that place and I go to another place. You have an amazing ability to retain fluency in that many languages simultaneously. Can you talk about, in addition to your learning techniques, once you get it to that fluency level, what are the retention techniques? Well, actually, you kind of answered yourself in this question when you were describing your experience, because you said, I never achieved the fluency level in any of the languages. And that is actually the whole secret. So I have a metaphor uh, that explains this in the best way, I think. Have you seen Castaway with Tom Hanks? Yes. Yeah, it's a wonderful movie. So he, what he does is he's stuck on his island and he wants to get away, right? So he builds a little raft and he rows out into the sea, but he keeps encountering these waves, right? And he can overcome the small waves closer to the island, but then the big waves come and he can never get over those. And that's why he's stuck there for several years. That's exactly what happens when you are trying to learn a language. If you row and you just overcome those little waves, if you stop rowing, the waves will drag you back towards the island and you're back at zero. You don't speak the language anymore. You lose it. That's a very natural process, by the way. This is not just you. This, that happens to everyone. Okay. <laughs> don't feel bad about that. <laughs> but what you have to do in order to keep the language is overcome that big last wave, which is the fluency level, the comfortable fluency level. For Europeans, that's a B2 level. And once you do that, the, the waves will not drag you back because you've overcome the last wave. Right. So you're now on the calm, open sea and you can enjoy the language. So this is actually my whole secret. I always make sure I'm very focused on one language. I always learn just one language at the same time. I never learn more than one. And I spent about two years with it, uh, spending just about one hour a day with it, not more. And after these more or less 500 hours of concentrated language learning, I have the, the fluency level where I can speak comfortably to anyone that's where I usually go to that country and practice it to get the full immersion. And afterwards, I, I can maybe not use the language for a year or even two. And if you give me half a day or one day with a native speaker, I will be back on that fluent level. So that's that's the secret. Wow. Can you talk a little bit about how you select the languages that you're going to learn and how you are motivated and inspired to spend that much time learning them. Yeah, this is a very important point. You you always have to have a good reason to learn a language, right? So I'll give you an example with Polish, for example, which was my next language after Spanish. At that time, I was a student and I had a student job for an airliner. Uh, I was on the um, call uh, on the hotline, right? So helping customers with some issues. And anyway, they told me, okay, you can help the English speaking and the German speaking clients, and this will be your payment. But if you do it for the Polish clients as well, you're going to get one euro per hour more, right? So I was like, okay, that sounds pretty good. Give me, you know, half a year or a year. <laughs> I'll get there with my Polish. <laughs> and so I started to work on Polish because I wanted to learn a new language and this seemed like a good reason, right? And anyway, I stopped working for that company uh, in just a month or two. It was a terrible job. But I really fell in love with Polish and I kept that. And that's one of my best languages until today. 
Amazing. Wow. And so for you, when you are in the process of learning the language, can you talk about now, since you've gone through so many languages and you've repeated the process, what are really the core pillars that you've distilled down that are the principles of how to do this? Because it's obviously you have a systematic, repeatable process. You can just select the language and apply it there. What are the core pillars of how to go from zero to fluency in a language as fast as you do? Right. So first of all, I must say there is not one unique method how to learn a language. And I myself have learned all my languages in different ways. So I always try to um, discover new methods, but I have a few principles, underlying principles, which I think are really important to keep. So first of all, whatever I do, I need to make sure it's fun for me. It's enjoyable. That's why I decided to read Harry Potter. And I enjoyed it much more than reading, you know, the textbooks about Jose, who is, I don't know, buying a ticket at the train station or something really boring. You know, Harry Potter was much more interesting. So fun is uh, the first aspect. The second pillar is that you need to have effective methods. So what many people do is they just learn languages the way they are taught at school, how to learn them. Unfortunately, these methods don't really work. And I I mean, you can just look around. Everybody has had several years of some foreign languages at school. No one seems to be speaking them, right? So we probably can agree that these methods don't work. Uh, What I suggest is look at the ways how polyglots learn languages. There are a lot of YouTubers out there, a lot of polyglot conferences where you can learn from polyglots and just copy their methods, right? Number three is that you do a lot of it. So many people expect to do five minutes of Duolingo every day. And after half a year, they're asking themselves, why don't I speak the language yet? Where five minutes a day doesn't get you anywhere, right? So you need to be really focused. And as I said, I personally learn one hour a day. If I have my active learning period, after 500 hours of contact with the language, I'm good. I can do another language. And the final one is having a system in your learning. So I think this is all about having habits and making it part of your everyday life. And if you don't do that, then every day you need to actually decide, do I feel like learning the language today or not? And I don't I don't feel like that every day. But if it's part of my plan, if I don't have to think about it, I just wake up, I do my little you know, grammar exercise. And then in the afternoon, I have a call with a native speaker. It's just part of my day. And I prepare that plan in advance. Right. Right. So can you talk a little bit also about your career trajectory? And you became passionate about languages. And then the way that you were going to monetize that or make money from your passion for languages has evolved over the years. So I'd love for you to just sort of take us on that journey. And, you know, coming out of high school, what was your vision for what you wanted to do? And then how did that experience go for you? Right. So as I mentioned, I started with a dream of being an interpreter, a conference interpreter at the age of 16. And I worked hard on that. So I went to study that at a university. I got my degree and I, I started freelancing as an interpreter while I was still studying. And it was an amazing job. I loved it. I felt super fulfilled about it. And it was awesome. But after a few years, six years of doing that, I actually realized that uh, I, I love this job. But If I continue doing this, I'm always going to be paid for the time that I spend working. And even though I'm free as a freelancer and I can decide to take three months off, I'm not going to be paid during those three months. So actually, I cannot take three months off. Right. And that's when I started to think, okay, how could I use my skills in a different way? And that's when slowly I started to learn that there are uh, some business opportunities where you can actually uh, build a business that also generates income when you are not working yourself every single minute. Right. Right. And that's when I got interested in this. And I, I was I was I started to look for ways like what could I possibly do? 
But the funny thing is, at the beginning, I didn't believe that I could use my skills to actually earn some money as an entrepreneur. First of all, I didn't know any entrepreneurs. I didn't have any friends uh, who would do business. So I didn't really have anyone to ask Right. And second of all, I didn't believe I was good enough. <laughs> I, I mean, when I when I say when I say this to people, they go like, oh, come on, Lydia, you speak so many languages. But I myself was comparing myself to other people I know who speak a lot more languages than I do. I know people who speak more than 20 languages. Right. And that's when I was asking myself, but who would want to listen to me? You know how to learn languages. If there are people out there who speak 20 or more languages, surely they know much more about language learning. So everybody would want to learn from them and not from me. So I had to overcome a lot of these uh, initial struggles and self-doubts. But yeah, slowly I understood that what I'm interested in is called expert business. And I need to learn how to how to do that. What was your process, first of all, just for dealing with that mindset issue? Because that, you know, what's often referred to as imposter syndrome, that pretty much every business owner that I know, including myself, you know, has felt and continues to feel to varying degrees, right? Even as we move along our journey, that's still kind of there in the back of our mind. We just figure out sort of ways to overcome it or make that voice quieter or or whatever it may be. But I think that's a really, really, really important thing. And I would love to just start off as we start kind of talking about your entrepreneurial journey, which I love because many aspects of it remind me of my own, you know, just having no business experience and not knowing how to build a business and trying to figure it out. But let's start with the mindset thing first. How did you approach that because a lot of people it's it's permanently paralyzing they have the imposter syndrome who am i clearly there's people that are more talented than me or they do this better than i do so you know who am i to do such and such right from that point how did you approach that and how did you evolve your mindset what was that transition like from the mindset perspective uh, the fundamental thing that changed for me was the network of people I, I talked to. So when I realized that I don't have anyone in my network of people to discuss these things with, I realized I have to find these people, right? Because when I told my friends and closest family about my business idea, which sounded something like this, well, I want to teach people how they can learn a language by themselves, but I don't want to teach them. And I want them to pay me money for that. And my friends and family would go like, oh, come on, Lydia, this is just stupid. I mean, don't waste your time and energy on something like that. You have a nice job. Keep it, right? The security and uh, don't, I mean, don't experiment with that. That just cannot work. But I realized that once I had some new friends who actually had business experience and they heard what I was about and like what skill set I had, they were super encouraging, right? They said like, oh my God, absolutely. You could turn this into an expert business and, and you can teach people that and, and you can you can build a huge business out of it. That's exactly what I needed to hear, right? So I actually started to actively create that network for myself. And I started locally in Bratislava. I just went to every single entrepreneurial meetup that I could find. And I started to get to know these people and ask them if, if we could go for a coffee or dinner or something. I was always asking them, how can I help you? Right. What can I do for you? Can I help you learn any language? You know, do you need any help with your English or something? And if, that, if I saw someone who was interested in that, I found that was a good fit and we could meet because I can give them something and I can learn from them. Right. So I found myself a few business mentors like this, and that helped me immensely. Because once I heard it every single week from my main business mentor that, you know, you can absolutely do this and, you know, you shouldn't worry about this and don't worry about that. You will learn that later. This this really changed the way I 
So myself, I would say. I love that. I, I, and I think the mindset is really the core and figuring out how to convince yourself that you can do this, not just other people, but that you can do this and that your skills are valuable and that you have the ability to figure out how to do that. So, okay. So once you had the mindset right and people were encouraging and you, you, you proactively made the choice to find and then surround yourself and immerse yourself with people, that would be encouraging. So you tended to your, the mindset issues, which are necessary, right? To be an entrepreneur, you have to do that. You simply must surround yourself with a supportive environment. Once you get the supportive environment, though, then there's the issue of business skill development. And you and I both, and we, we, you and I have had conversations about this, how we were, you know, we had no business background. We didn't study business. We didn't, you know, have a whole history of entrepreneurship. Like I got, you know, fired from my job in the nonprofit advocacy space one day unexpectedly. And I was like, I think I'll start a business, but I don't know how. And so I would love to hear a little bit about your journey starting from there. You knew languages and you were an interpreter and you knew how to do that, but that doesn't relate to business skills. So how did you start at that point, figuring out what you needed to know and then building those business skills? Right. So first of all, I, I uh, what I found most important is to figure out what is my product and whether it can even work. Because uh, some of my friends and family were telling me this will not work. And uh, deep inside, I had that voice too. You know, I, I hoped it would work. I mean, I knew that I learned languages in a different way. And I was absolutely sure this is not because of some special talent, as people tell me. But this is absolutely replicable and other people can do it too. But I didn't know that. I didn't have that experience because there was a little chance that maybe I am that special and talented and no one else in the world can do it. Right. So what I did was I started a test group with five friends and I started meeting them regularly once a week for three months. And I would test my methods on them just to see if I can help them. And this was extremely useful because I remember our first meetup where I basically told them everything I knew about language learning in two hours, super fast speed. And I just gave them everything, all my know-how. And at the end, I thought really good. I was like, okay, well, guys, now you know everything you need to know. And they were so confused. <laughs> they were sitting there just going down and down in their chairs like feeling absolutely desperate like Lydia what am I supposed to do and I was like what do you mean what am I supposed to do I just told you everything but they couldn't process it because they, it was not in any systematic way I just threw it at them without any preparation and that, that was a really valuable uh, very valuable lesson for me where I learned aha uh -huh, maybe I need to you know give them little portions of this one at a time and I need to work with what they already know so this is how I actually learned how to give people the know-how that I have, the, the presentation. So I did another testing group for another three months. And then I actually tested my product on 100 university students where I was doing my PhD at that time. And after that, I was pretty sure, okay, I can do this. I have amazing results here, amazing testimonials too, which was very good for my first sales page. And uh, so I realized, okay, I, I do have a good product. I can help people. Let's do this. Then I needed to figure out the, the business But side that is that. so important. I mean, as a first step, you were testing and refining your teaching process and what would be the most valuable thing so that students could actually implement and get results from what you were offering. And you focus grouped that on multiple different focus groups and refined it based on the feedback that you got and basically tested. And once you're sure that this actually worked and people could replicate it and people could get the results, and then you you did it for free in exchange for social proof of testimonials. So now you can go to market with a whole bunch of these testimonials that this actually works. 
that's a super, super, super important foundation, I think. So once you have that and you have a product and you know the validity of the product and you have the social proof that it actually works for customers, whether or not they paid, now you actually have to monetize it and you have to build a business. What was the process for you for learning how to do that? I just started learning massively. I subscribed to every newsletter, every webinar out there. I bought some online courses and I had my business mentor, uh, a guy who was interested in improving his English. So we decided we will meet up regularly and we will discuss. I will actually ask him my business questions in English so that he practices right his English. And I, I helped him learn English other ways too. And so, for example, I remember what he told me in one of our first meetings. And that was absolutely revolutionary for me. He said, Lydia, look, you have some know-how that you can use to help people in languages, right? You have several options what you can do. You can write a book, right, and sell it for 10 to 15 euros. That will be your all know-how that you have. Or you can write an ebook, which is exactly the same know-how, and you can sell it for, let's say, 20 to 50 euros. Or what you can do is you can put the same know-how and create an online course. And online courses are sold for two to 300 euros. So you decide, right, what you want to do. I was like, okay, that sounds great. I was actually planning to write a book at that time. And I was like, okay, then I'm going to go with online courses. And that was really a huge, huge shortcut for me just to realize that I need to find a way how to present this know-how in videos and, you know, give it step by step in a nice piece of content uh, so that people actually learn with that. So I, I learned everything step by step. Every time I needed to learn something, I, I found a way how to find that piece of information. So, for example, one day before publishing my website, I realized I need something like terms and conditions, right? So it was like 11 p.m. and I was, I was really tired. I wanted to go to sleep. And now, okay, now I need terms and conditions. Where do I get those, right? So, yeah, I stumbled upon a problem and I just Googled and asked people and tried to find a solution to that. Yeah, I think that's the other thing I want to just draw out of what you have said now a couple of times in reference is the concept of starting a business with minimal capital and resources going into it and bartering your skills in exchange for other people's skills instead of paying for them. That, I think, is really significant. Yeah, and I did a lot of it. Like, I got my first web designer for for a barter, too. I got the first photographer who did professional pictures for my website as a barter, too. So, actually, yeah, I got I got quite a lot of people. I even got um, a fashion style advisor, you know, who told me, like, what, how I should dress up and what I should buy because I'm not very good with these things uh, because she was interested in my course. So, <laughs> I actually barter quite a lot, yeah. That's amazing. So, I would love to hear what some of the lessons are or tips that you may have in terms of as your business evolved, what were some of the main sales and marketing techniques that you have refined and that are actually working for you now once you put your course together so you knew how to teach, you knew what was going to resonate with students, and then you had to you know, residualize that into an online video course format. And once you had that, what were the sales and marketing techniques that you learned and refined that are ultimately working best for you right now? 
So I started with webinars pretty early uh, in my in my business. And I think that's one of the best ways actually to sell online courses. And what I developed it in is uh, I now have uh, webinars on autopilot. So it's fully automized, all the sale process. People sign up for the webinar whenever it suits them and they pay and they automatically get the course. So it's, it's perfectly uh, passive income, basically. So I'm very glad I put a lot of, actually this year, I put a lot of energy into developing that because my business mentor was telling me that from the very beginning, like you should automize more. And I did, I didn't believe him. But now that I, I've seen that working, I, yeah, I see I should have concentrated on that a bit earlier, maybe. But what I also learned is uh, it's extremely important to uh, build a team from the beginning, even at the start when I didn't think I would need someone. I didn't want to grow a huge company. I didn't have huge ambitions uh, as an entrepreneur. But I, I did follow the advice of one of my business mentors who said, ah, just make sure you have an assistant to help you with little stuff here and there. Right. So out of these people at the, the university, the students, I picked those who were interested in helping me with the little things in the background uh, for free just because they wanted to, you know, have access to my know-how or something. And until this day, three of them are working for me and they are amazing and they are really skilled and they manage other people in my team. So that was also a great, great thing to do. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between being a freelancer and being a business owner. Oh, that's a huge difference. Because I feel like a lot of people, especially people that want to generate, you know, location independent incomes and things like that are, you know, freelancing is an option, but that's very different from being an entrepreneur. And you were initially a freelancer for many years as an interpreter, and then you changed and decided to become an entrepreneur and build a business. Can you talk about why you chose to make that transition and what the fundamental difference is between freelancing and being a business owner? Right. So, yeah, I, I, at the beginning of my business, I was still a freelancer because I was by myself. I was a solopreneur, as, as they like to say. And there's such a huge difference because if I wanted to take a holiday, it basically meant suspending my business for the time of the holiday. And it was extremely important to me not to work all the time. I really want to have my holidays and my time off. So, for example, I wanted to do a backpacking trip in Colombia for a month. But what that meant in practice is that I needed to make sure that there will be no business while I'm in Colombia, right? I needed to make sure I close all the projects and there are no new opportunities that I accept for that period. So from the business perspective, that's a terrible thing to do. You're kind of you know, stopping your business for some time. Now that I'm on this nomad cruise, my whole team is working uh, at the same time. And I know that they're generating income while I'm here enjoying an offline holiday for two weeks. You know, that's a huge, huge difference. So from this financial perspective, that's really huge. But second thing, which is also very, very important to me, is that as a solopreneur, I didn't have anyone to really share all my business stuff with. And I mean the experience behind the business. The good news, like, okay, this worked, this campaign worked, we sold some courses. You know, you didn't have anyone to tell that to. I mean, you could tell your friends, but they don't really know much about your business. They don't want, you don't want to talk business with your friends, right? So who do you share that with? Now, today, you know, we have a special Slack channel with with our team just about sharing and we share all, all our successes together. We have regular wine sessions on Skype where we open a bottle of wine and everybody shares like what they achieved in the last month. And this is just a great experience. And it's so different from being there by myself. Amazing. I would love to talk a little bit about your business scaling journey 
and just your process from when you started your business, when you launched it, and everything from you know who your target market was when you were launching your business and how you expanded your customer base, and, and as well as how you grew your team from being a solopreneur who decided to hire an assistant all the way up to now of a fully distributed team of 12 people. I'd love to hear sort of that journey. Yeah. So this whole journey uh, has been going on for three and a half years. And I always put a lot of emphasis on the quality of the product. Uh, So before I created my online course, I actually had 10 live seminars where I gave, uh, delivered my product to the people who were there in person. And it was, again, extremely valuable because uh, these people were giving me very valuable feedback. I will give you an example. Uh, at the beginning, I thought that I can just tell people, okay, in, in order to improve your listening skills, your listening comprehension, you need to listen a lot. Like, that's obvious, right? So you can do like YouTube videos, um, series, podcasts, etc. Okay, let's move on to the second one. But then someone would raise their hand in that seminar and they would ask, okay, Lydia, with the TV series, for example, should I watch with subtitles or with like with Slovak subtitles or English subtitles? And I thought, well, isn't that obvious? If you watch with Slovak subtitles, you're not going to learn much because your brain just concentrates on the familiar text that you read and you're not listening. So obviously you should put on English subtitles or no subtitles at all, which is even better. And I saw them writing notes about that. And I was surprised, like, guys, are you seriously interested in that? Like, is that new information to you? Interesting. So the next seminar, uh, let's say a month later, I would actually deliver a longer presentation and I would now make a chapter out of TV series. You know, should you watch with subtitles or without subtitles? And I saw them asking me more and more questions. So I developed this into a longer, longer chapters. And now I have a 46-page ebook about watching TV series to improve your language skills, right? So this was very, very useful for me uh, to have this direct feedback from live seminars. And the 10th one was let's say, good enough for me in my... I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single-family homes, sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, that physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. Quality standards that I dared shoot it on video and now sell it as an online course. Amazing. Can you talk a little bit too, just so that we clarify, just kind of want to interject a little bit so you can clarify about what your actual product offering is now in its current state after you've done all these iterations and these revisions? Because when people think about language learning, they think about, you know, Rosetta Stone or something, and I'm going to buy a course that's going to teach me this language that I want to learn. It's going to go through grammar. It's going to go through vocabulary. And I'm going to, if I want to learn Spanish, I'm going to buy a Rosetta Stone course on Spanish and I'm going to study my Spanish. Your course is actually not language specific and you're able to teach people how to 
learn languages that you don't even speak. So can you explain how that works and just clarify for people exactly today, what is your product offering? Right. That is actually my five second pitch that gets people's interest is what do you do? I teach people languages which I don't even speak. <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> so I have two online courses which are evergreen from the business perspective. So uh, my know-how is out there. People can buy it and they automatically get access to it on my website. And there are two because I have special tips for people learning a language from scratch and special tips for people learning from a, let's say, lower intermediate level uh, onwards. So this is my know-how put in two online courses. Both of them are about five to seven hours uh, long. And on top of that, my flagship product is a two-month course where I take a group of 50 people uh, who are not complete beginners, so they need to have some basics in any language they like. I don't need to speak that language. And I help them create a system made of methods that they pick themselves based on what they like, what they want to improve. And um, they create this uh, plan, learning plan, and my team and I, we help them keep the plan. So we are helping them with the accountability, the motivation, and we monitor, uh, we check on them basically how they do. And this is extremely, um, uh, th this works extremely well for people because they actually just need to put in the work. There is no other way to learn a language. I mean, if you just do Duolingo or, or Rosetta Stone for a few minutes a day, that's not going to teach you how to speak that language, right? So we tell them, okay, you want to speak, who are you going to speak with? These are the options, right? These are the websites where you can find people to talk with for free, or you can have paid classes, you can talk uh, towards uh, to, to each other. And we make sure they actually put in all that work. So after two months of learning with us, people actually end up having spent, uh, let's say, 100 hours of language learning. Uh, usually they do about uh, seven, eight, nine hours a week learning the language. And that helps a lot, right? So we actually force them to apply the methods from my video courses in practice. That's what that business is about. Wow. Okay. So a customer comes to you and they say, Lydia, I want to learn. And it's a language that you've never touched, which let's just say they want to learn. They want to go to, they're about to go live in West Africa. They want to learn Wolof. Yeah. That's or, actually, <laughs> one of my clients just had Wolof. Actually. Wolof, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so they come to you and they say, I want to learn Wolof. You've never studied Wolof. And so what is their experience like with your course? Why should they take your course? What then experience if they want to learn Wolof or they want to learn Irish or they want to learn, you know, Cantonese or they want to learn a language that you're not fluent in? They come to you and their experience with you would be what? What's the customer journey? So first of all, they need to understand the principles about language learning. We touched upon some, but I go into a lot more detail in my courses so that they can get rid of all the uh, beliefs they have about language learning from school, which are just not really right most of the time. And once they have that, uh, they need to figure out what materials they will want to work with. So I can tell them you can listen to podcasts, but I don't know what is the best podcast for Wolof, right? You need to find that podcast. So I tell them how to learn for the right podcast for them. And uh, they follow the steps and they find it for whatever language they want, because there are so many materials out there online that I don't need to know exactly which podcast it is. They can just find it based on my my steps, my recommended steps. And so they say, okay, I'm going to listen to Wall of Podcasts uh, here. And then, okay, I also want to improve my speaking now. Or who do I speak with? Again, I give them the exact uh, instructions how to find the right people to speak with and how these conversations should be done. So what they do, you know, how they process the vocabulary and then what they do with the vocabulary and how often they work with it. So it really is not dependent on the language itself. They need to figure out the material because I, I realized that uh, it doesn't work. Language learning doesn't work if you are trying to learn someone else's vocabulary. If you take a set of words 
uh, let's say, the 2,000 most common words in a language and you're trying to learn those, it will not really work for you. What you need to do is you open a book of Harry Potter, right? And you find the words which you are interested in learning, even if the first word is a broomstick, right? I mean, you need to be interested in that word and that's when you will remember it. So that's why I think I don't believe in creating content for language learners. I rather want to tell them exactly how to do it. They still need to do the job themselves. There is no teacher ever that can teach a person a language. You need to do the learning. So I just uh, direct them to the right materials. And you now have thousands of satisfied customers from all over the world that are learning all different languages from their hometowns and everything else that you don't even speak that have simply learned your program you know, purchased your program, learned how to learn a language and then applied it to whatever language they want to learn. And so when you were building this business, when you started off, who was your target market? How did you start marketing your offering? And then from there, how did you sort of grow your customer base? Mm -hmm. So I started in Slovakia. I have basically two businesses, which are about the same, but they are independent because one of them is completely in Slovak and the other one is completely in English. Uh, I started in Slovakia because I realized this is the market that I know really well. I can uh, talk to people in my webinars or talks or uh, videos. I can tell them exactly what they have been through in their language learning experience. And uh, that's why I can pinpoint the pain uh, very well. You know, and that's why I can also give them a good solution because I know exactly what they have been through. So I started with Slovakia with, Slovakia with the live uh, seminars. And in those seminars, I spend a lot of time talking to these people and figuring out who they are, what they want, what they need. Right. And th this is how I clarified my ideal customers. And then basically one and a half years afterwards, I, I did the same thing in English. And I just, yeah, I just started offering this to the whole world. And I must say it is slightly more difficult for me to know exactly who my ideal client is in the in the whole world, right, in, on the international market. Uh, but I'm working on it. I have a few avatars, a few types of people that these courses really are, are good for and that, uh, you know, people who got attra get attracted to it. Um, but it's not as easy as in Slovakia where I know the culture and all the background. Yeah, and you also have an affinity with those people and it's a very small niche and you can speak to them as I'm Slovak like you're Slovak and I had the same education that you had and I had a hard time learning languages just like you did and then this is what I did. And then they have a very strong affinity with you and it's a niche and I think, I feel like that's really a good piece of advice for business owners, not even necessarily in terms of the nationally specific aspect of that, but in terms of the niche specific and the affinity specific, right? And starting to market to people in a small niche where you can say, I am the expert in this space and I have the same, whatever it is, right? These affinities with you, I'm like you. I did this and you can do this the same way that I did it, right? Exactly. Yeah, so they I've, could totally identify with me because I'm one of them, right? I'm also this uh, Slovak girl from a little town, you know? I didn't have any native speakers uh, around me and I managed it in not just one language, but several languages. So why wouldn't they? Yeah. Right. Now, and then as you scaled your business, what was your process for hiring staff building your systems and processes and growing your company? What was that like? 
So I I grew my team very naturally. And now that I think about it, it's it seems almost incredible. But the right people seem to come to me exactly at the time when I needed them. I believe I believe in the principle of the law of attraction and these things. And I can I can prove it in my life how it really worked. Um, all the 11 people on my team right now are my previous clients and they are some of the best clients I had. Many of them took my courses five or seven, six times, one after the other. Uh, super big fans, uh, excited about language learning, really good at it, putting in crazy numbers of hours, like 20, 30 hours a week, you know, during that course. And uh, these are the people that I now work with, which is which I feel really blessed about. That's amazing. That's an amazing concept right there is simply that hiring from your brand loyalists, your raving fans, your satisfied customers that are 100% personally not only invested in the brand, but they are the satisfied testimonial because exactly. who else could sell your product better? Exactly. And this is the wonderful thing. Now that we create stuff together, we I always include them in this process of how can we do this better? I actually just need to ask them because they are my best target group, right? I am creating the course for people like them. So it's it's much easier now that I have such amazing people on my team. That's amazing. And along those lines, how have you thought about creating company culture? What does the internal sort of communication and management dynamic look like inside your company? It's uh, very friendly, and this is extremely important to me. Uh, I spend a lot of time with my business working on it. And so I want to make sure that I work with people who with whom I feel good and who feel good with me as well. And I put a lot of uh, emphasis on life meetups and team building activities. I'm very lucky because my team members, we are all remote. We are a 100% remote company, but we live close from each other. So we are all over Slovakia, the Czech Republic now. Uh, so we can get in one place within three, four hours of traveling, right? And so I like to do team buildings uh, at least twice a year, usually more, where we just go hiking in the Slovak mountains, for example, or we do a wellness weekend, or we do fun stuff like escape rooms and, you know, virtual reality and stuff like that. And uh, in this way, we get to know each other really well as people, not only as uh, co-workers. And uh, yeah, it, it, it creates a, a really amazing value uh, that all of us enjoy. That's amazing. How do you manage your staff? I mean, now that you're over 10 people and you're into double digit staff numbers, what are your actual just logistical managerial processes for overseeing all the work that people are doing and, you know, you know, maintaining productivity as well as a healthy work environment? Right. So I could not do this without uh, one team member, Veronica, who manages uh, most of the people for me. So I do not have direct contact with them every day. Uh, she has a few projects uh, and she makes sure that they run really well. So I, I try to get myself from the work itself as much as I can. I'm doing this step by step. Uh, I don't want to like fully get outside of the company. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not planning an exit or anything, but I want to make sure that it runs without me uh, the same way as if, you know, as when I'm there. And so um, we use, like, if you want to talk about the concrete examples, yeah, so we use Trello to organize our work, to manage the projects. We use Slack to communicate to each other, which is extremely, extremely useful. And, and then we do, uh, like, Skype meetups uh, when we need to discuss something in uh, like in, in more detail, and that's yeah, that's how we usually do it. 
And how have you, in your scaling process, can you talk a little bit about, I mean, there's a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs that listen to the podcast. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about, you know, just sort of behind the scenes, your process for building systems and processes and job descriptions and, you know, how you go from a three-person company to a seven-person to a 12-person. And as you're growing, you know, and expanding, how has that, how have you done that effectively? Yeah, so it was a very natural process. Again, I wasn't planning it, but whenever we needed someone new, we kind of realized, actually, this person would be good for that. We asked them and they said, oh, yeah, absolutely. I want to work for you. Now, uh, in the last year or two, we actually started hiring uh, with with a purpose, more consciously. So whenever we needed someone new, I just sent out an email to my database. I have a email database list uh, and I ask people if you know and is anybody out there who wants to uh, work with us and do this and that this is what we're looking for this is what we're offering and I only actually send it to the clients who took my flagship product so uh, I didn't want to put it out there publicly I just wanted to work with people who have been through the product and know it well and we got 17 people applying at the time wow. and all of them thought this would be their dream job to work for us and yeah we found a few people and actually we we are still actually hiring new people from that group of 17 people who applied. So, yeah, that turned out to be um, a good step. What has been your actual hiring process? So once you put out the job description to your list, which I think is amazing, by the way, I mean, the fact that you're you're only hiring like 100 percent of your staff are satisfied customers who have taken your course, succeeded with your course and are passionate about your course. And that's the only pool of applicants that you're putting the job description out to. I think that's amazing. Then once you get multiple applicants for your job, what is your hiring process, interviewing, vetting? How do you select the right fit for your team? I can give you the example that actually the last person I hired was one hour before the taking, taking the flight to Athens from where we started the Nomad Cruise. So uh, what we did is uh, we sent the email to the database that we're looking for a web designer plus a web administrator plus a video editor. It was the description of uh, various things. We needed someone who can do all of these things, three, three things at the same time. Uh, we got 54 applicants for this position and we picked six of them who we thought would be would be a good fit because we gave them a questionnaire and we asked questions which were both relevant to the job itself, like what are your experiences, show us the websites that you have uh, already done. And also, like, how do you know language mentoring? How do you know us? You know, what is your experience with us? And so we picked the people that we thought would be interesting for our team and we gave them a set of tasks. We, t we told them you have one week uh, to prepare uh, this website for us because that would be a web designer, right? So they needed to uh, make sure that they we needed to make sure that they know how to do that. And actually what I did is I gave them an option. You can do uh, task A or task B. And then on top of that, do this little thing here. And the interesting thing is that one of those six people actually did both of the tasks, A and B, which was quite a lot of work, a lot of hours of work. And on top of that, a few more suggestions what she could do uh, in the job. And she turned out to be uh, the best fan and actually the best quality of work. And given that I saw that she really has this uh, approach, this work, she will prefer me to her other clients because this would be her dream job. Uh, that's what actually told me she will be a great fit. And yeah, well, so we hired her and uh, I will see in the next weeks or months, you know, to see if that works out. Yeah, amazing. Your team looks just so awesome. I mean, I've seen pictures of them and you've talked about them and stuff, and it just seems like such a cool concept where you're hiring people that 
not only are committed to your brand, but they all have something in common with each other. They've all been through your course. They've, they're all passionate about learning languages. And so when the team gets together and interacts with each other, they all have that commonality in common. And it's such a, that's just such a really, really, really cool, I think, company culture that you've created. It's really unique. And I love that idea. Here's a question for you. What similarities are there between the way that you approach language learning and the way that you approached learning how to build a business since you were starting from ground zero in the same way that you approach a new language, you know nothing about a new language and you just go zero to fluency in a particular way and you, you apply your learning techniques to the language. What similarities, if any, were there between that and the way you taught yourself business? There's a huge similarity, actually. I even I would even say this whole uh, this whole experience of learning how to do business is kind of a new language for me, because I approach it exactly in the same way as as I approach language learning. Just like with learning languages, there are uh, millions of ways how you can start an online business, and you just need to pick the ones that fit you, right? So there is no unique uh, universal recipe that would work for everyone. And I needed to learn, you know, step by step and see what is fun for me, what is enjoyable. It's extremely important for, for me, whatever I do in life, to make sure that I enjoy the process as well. And I, I am enjoying this process of building a business tremendously. This is really an amazing experience where I learn stuff about myself and I just learn and grow every single day, just like when you're learning a language, right? So I actually use my four pillars on my business building as well. I make it fun. I do it intensively in the half year where I really immerse myself in this whole business building experience. I, I spend a lot of hours with it every day. I was really, really into it. And in six months of learning how to do business, I learned more than in four years of doing my PhD, for example, if I can compare it. Wow. Because I was really, really excited about it. And I just learned from all sources possible. So I really went into it. So the intensity was there as well. I made it quite systematic. And uh, I, I used effective methods because I was consulting the right people. Right. So it's actually very similar. Amazing. Let me ask you this. As an entrepreneur and a business owner, we have this thing that is called the entrepreneurial roller coaster and it goes up and it goes down and there's stressful things that occur along the way and setbacks that occur along the way that pretty much all business owners can relate to. I want to ask you how you manage that and what types of techniques you've developed over the years for managing stress and dealing with major setbacks or stressful situations. So, well, this is something that I actually took from my business mentor. I try not to look at failures as failures, but as lessons. So you either succeed or you learn, right? And whenever whenever there is a setback, I try to look at it from a positive perspective. Like, what can I learn from this? How can I do this better next time? So, for example, what is quite difficult for me is, uh, let's say, the January webinars, because January is a very good time for my business. People have their New Year commitments. They want to learn a language. So that's the best time to, to actually do a huge campaign. But it's extremely difficult. We spend two weeks working on it. Uh, something always is wrong, you know, technically, or something is just not perfectly ready yet. And 
we still need to go with it or go through with it. So what I what I realized is it's extremely important not to plan big projects for me in the second half of January. So what I'm planning to do this year is to go skiing for a week, right? To get kind of a balance after this intensive period. And I know that January is going to be difficult for me, but at the end of the month, I'm going to go skiing, right? For, for a week. Um, so also I'm going to automize a few things. So we learned... Why is this difficult? We always have a little discussion with our team afterwards. So why was this difficult? Why why was it a struggle? And how can we do this better? How can we prevent some of some of those problems? So, yeah, it's 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 all um, a fascinating journey of learning, I would say. I don't see it as failing. I see it as learning. And even when we, for example, build some funnels, we spend actually four days uh, in a retreat working on one set of funnels that we thought would work really well. Then we ran them and we found that they were not profitable, right? We lost a lot of money on that, but we learned from it. And it was still a great experience to build it together because we also got to, you know, be together as a team and get this experience, get to know each other better. So it was not a wasted time for sure. And now we know how not to do it and where to concentrate our focus next time. I love that. Can you talk a little bit about your personal productivity habits, how you structure your day? Because you obviously do a lot of things. You run a business which is actively expanding and growing. You are actively learning languages as well while you're doing this and so on and so forth. You're, of course, traveling the world and doing other interesting things as well. So can you talk about any productivity techniques that you have? I'd love to hear if you have specific morning routines or evening routines and how you structure your day to be as productive as you are with with business and skill development, as well as all the cool, fun stuff you do. <laughs> so if you had asked me this question uh, two months ago, I would be like, oh, no, let's not talk, talk about productivity because that's my big issue and I struggle with it. And I'm like trying to find a way how to manage everything, but I'm, I'm totally useless at it. But now I actually want to talk about it because last month I, I read this amazing book, Getting Things Done. I'm sure you either read it or heard about it. And it totally, totally changed the way I work with information and projects, how I manage my own work and flow of ideas. So I started applying it and it's it's really, it's wonderful. I can totally recommend it. So now I, uh, th- I'm still in the process of transition. I'm not like there yet, but I decided to really concentrate a lot on how I process information because there are so many things going on and it happens so often in our team that I would delegate something to someone and then I would not make a note of it and I would just let it go off my mind because now it's the other person's business, but they wouldn't uh, see it as that. They wouldn't wrote it, write it down. And half a year later, we go like, oh, wait, we wanted to do this thing. Now we forgot about it and it's no one's responsibility. Right. So now I have, for example, a waiting for list. And whenever I delegate something, I made a Trello card in my waiting for list. And regularly once a week, I go through that. And if I haven't heard from that person about that project, I remind them. Right. So nothing is lost. And this is this is really a huge revolution in our team. So we, we have been struggling with that. I think every every team struggles with that and needs to find a way uh, to work around it. But, yeah, we have managed it. What does your personal sort of day structure look like? Like, do you get up at the same time every morning? Are you a morning person? Do you have a morning routine that you do? Like, do you have work blocks where you study language at the same hour every day and you do your business stuff? Like, what is sort of you? Because you are, I mean, I think you're amazing. Like, I mean, you've literally just 
bootstrapped and built this 12 person company that's like crushing. And then you're learning a, a language to fluency every, you know, two years and you're traveling around and you seem like you're having a blast and partying all the time. Like, I mean, I just like you're loving someone just like glimpses your lifestyle. They're like, that's insane. Like, how do you do all of that? So I would love if you could just kind of like, like, how do you structure your day? Like, what are, are the, you know, do you have routines? Do you have like, how do you do all of what you do? Well, thank you. First of all, I mean, I, I love my life. I, I think it's pretty cool. But um, the thing is, I don't have some steady routines that I would follow regularly, rigidly. It us- There are usually periods of time when I get excited about something and I try it. Right. So, for example, uh, there were times of this year when I woke up and spent some time reading a book. I, I usually read some nonfiction books that I can learn something from, from and then I have my breakfast and then I start working. But I usually don't start working before 10 a.m. So I'm not much of an, um, like a person who would you know get up very early. Um, and uh, then I have periods of time when I, I want to learn the language in the morning. So that's what I do then. And then I decide to start waking up early. I try the, you know, wake up at 5 a.m. and be the morning type of person. Didn't really work out, but I'm experimenting. So, no, I don't really have any any set rules, but I usually wake up. I have my breakfast. I work from home. I have a, a nice big desk that I can work at standing as well, which is important to me. And um, yeah, I work with my team. I'm usually available to my team. Uh, most of the time, uh, I try to work on some projects where I need to focus, but I find it very difficult when I'm distracted by everything else. Uh, that's why I, I like to use time such as on this boat to actually, you know, do some focus time when I'm when I'm not online. Um, so, yeah, to answer your questions. No, I don't re- I don't really have any any really, really regular Cool. That's Problem. that's actually an important answer because everybody, like all the entrepreneurs that I talk to, have different answers to that question. I also find it very important to to have rules. Like, for example, I don't I don't like working in the evenings. I used to when I was starting my business. I would work twenty four hours a day, uh, and weekends, obviously. But then after a year and a half, I decided, okay, this this cannot go on like that. You can always work more, and there's always always work to be done. But I, I I'm really conscious about my work life balance, and I want to make sure I have time for my personal life too. Awesome. Let's use that lifestyle concept to sort of transition into talking a little bit about travel. I would love to start off with asking you sort of a macro level question. I know you have traveled to over 40 countries. You have seen a lot of the world. And I would love to just start asking you, why do you travel in general? What do you get out of it? What does travel mean to you? Traveling is is just amazing. When you once I figured out that the world is bigger than Slovakia, you know, and that there are totally different people who have very different uh, um, views on life. That's what I'm usually most interested in. I just wanted to meet as many of them as possible. And I realized that uh, the people who are in my corner of the world are very similar because we are from the same culture. We grew up with the same beliefs and uh, I'm not going to widen my horizons much if I just talk to the same type of people. So what I travel for is people mostly. And that's why I did quite a lot of couchsurfing uh, in my 20s. Uh, I always wanted to stay with the locals. I uh, I often pick, pick countries where I could speak their language. So it was language practice as well. And uh, just meeting, it's just fascinating for me to talk to someone. I really like talking to older people, for example, because I love to- um, asking them stuff like, well, what have you learned? You know, what would you do differently? And uh, how do you see the world? I find it really interesting uh, to hear their answers. So, yeah, getting to know more people and obviously seeing all these beautiful places. 
And can you talk about the difference or the significance when you travel to a place and you speak the language? Oh, it's a whole lot because, of Because you've obviously traveled places where you don't speak the language. Like yesterday we were in Jordan. You don't speak fluent Arabic. So, so can you talk about when you are traveling around the world and you speak the language fluently, what does that do? How does that enhance the travel experience? Oh, it's really, really different and, and so much better. I, I think that's why I got kind of addicted to learning languages, because once I realized that I can use it when traveling, that's even better, right? People open up to you in a very different way. So when you just speak English uh, and, and you travel around the world, you will definitely meet a lot of people who speak English, right? But there are a certain type of people from, let's say, countries in Latin America, right? If you speak Spanish fluently, you can talk to the mother of your couchsurfer, right? And you can find out about stuff uh, that uh, your couchsurfer will tell you differently because, you know, he studies somewhere at a university and meets different type of people, but she's this local woman somewhere and... Uh, uh, like, yeah, it's, it's just the, the stuff they tell you and they open up to you. It's very, very different. So it's definitely richer, richer way of, of traveling, I would say. What have been some of your most interesting travel experiences that you've had? Well, it's difficult to, to choose um, a few, but I would I would pick maybe, yeah, I would pick two journeys. So one of my best trips was uh, doing the Trans-Siberian Express from Moscow to Mongolia. Uh, I actually, that was the reason why I decided to learn Russian. And I spent two years learning Russian intensively so that I can do that trip fully in Russian. And I did couchsurfing with Russian families. And it was just amazing doing this all in Russian. And then the second was quite interesting was uh, when I was actually on an interpreting job in Peru. Uh, near Iquitos in the jungle. And I uh, I spent two weeks with a shaman, a 90-year-old shaman who uh, treated people with ayahuasca. So that was also quite unusual for me to be in that camp with those people and go through that with them. Can you share a little bit about, I mean, those are both amazing. And I just did the Trans-Siberian trip uh, this year, in fact. And I did it, it was really cool because I did it with a whole group of like 30 nomads. And we were going through Russian. It was all organized by Russians. And so, of course, the people that didn't speak Russian, it was cool because we had Russian speakers there. You know, they could interpret for us and stuff. And then we went through Siberia. And in each of the Siberian towns, we had local people from Novosibirsk and Irkutsk and Kazan and those kind of places that were taking us for a tour of their city and showing us around and all that kind of stuff. And so that was really, really amazing. I as well have been recommending that to everybody. I mean, Russia was just, it, it so overperformed my expectations. It was just amazing. And I had pretty, like, you know, especially for like St. Petersburg and those kind of cities, I mean, I was expecting them to be pretty epic and they were just unbelievable. So both in terms of the big cities like St. Petersburg and Moscow, but then also as you go through Siberia and you just go to these small towns and then we went out to Lake Baikal and like kind of saw just the beautiful natural landscape as well as just, you know, how amazing that area was. So I agree, super, super special trip, but I would love to hear in terms of your Peru experience, uh, can you share a little bit about how this came about that you got hired as an interpreter for a high ticket ayahuasca retreat in the Amazon jungle? And then what was that actually like going through that experience for you? Yeah, so that was really unique. Uh 
it's difficult to say how how I would find that job again, but it just somehow found me because uh, I was basically there for uh, an Austrian guy who had a Slovak girlfriend and they didn't speak Spanish. So they were looking for someone who's willing to spend almost a month with them in Peru and speak Slovak, German and Spanish, right? I don't think there are many people who would be willing to do that and who speak these three languages. That was the perfect job for me, obviously. So yeah, they paid for my tickets and they took me to this uh, trip, which normally costs 3,000 euros. Well, I did it for free, obviously. And also on top of that, I, I got paid because it was a job, right? So I was um, I was interpreting for them normal everyday stuff a few hours a day. And it was really interesting because I didn't know anything about ayahuasca. Uh, by the way, I don't know if everybody knows, but it's this special drug, which is only legal in three countries in Latin America. And uh, when you drink it, it uh, it supposedly purifies your body, but the process of purification is not that nice because you actually end up vomiting for a few hours afterwards, right? So when I read about it, it's like, oh my god, what am I, you know, what am I going to do there? It's, it it sounded a bit scary, but I was up for any adventure. So yeah, we 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 went there. I actually ended up being in two ayahuasca ceremonies without wanting to, without planning to, and had a really interesting experience. Fortunately, not bad. I I didn't even throw up. I was I was basically just high from from the drug, and uh, that was the most unusual interpreting job I ever did. <laughs> That's amazing. All right, Lydia. At this point, are you ready to move into the lightning? Round. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Let's do it. The lightning round. All right. What is one book? And if you want, I'll let you name more than one because I know you read a lot of books <laughs> and you have books in different areas of your life that have been impactful. But what is one or more books that have really influenced and impacted you over the years that you would most recommend people check out? Okay. I'll mention two books. Uh, one of them is business related. The other one is more about personal uh, development or life in general. So the business one is uh, Russell Brunson's Expert Secrets. I think Russell Brunson is the number one marketer to to look at if you want to learn how to do an online business. I've learned a lot of lot from him. And um, yeah, and the personal development book I would recommend is uh, The New Earth from Eckhart Tolle. I, this book really answered so many questions I had about like life, what is life about, what is the meaning of life and all these things in such a nice way. I've, I totally recommend reading this book. Awesome. What is one app or productivity tool you're currently using that you'd recommend people check out? Um, so I would mention maybe uh, Money Manager as an app that I use to track my personal finances. I like to know what I spend money on and just to have an overview of that. So yeah, let's let's mention this one. Cool. If you could have dinner with any person that's currently living today, could be celebrity, author, public figure, movie star, whoever, who would you choose, just you and that person for a few hours dinner? Okay, I'll mention a person that I'm pretty sure you won't know because uh, she's a Czech uh, entrepreneur and she's the person who inspired me most when I started my business. Uh, her name is Stania Stiborova and uh, she basically is a great example for me because she started a, a super successful business helping other people get their dreams and start uh, an online business basically. But what I really find interesting about her is that uh, she is very fulfilled in her personal life as well. She managed to do this with two kids and she now has another two. So with four kids, she manages a huge company and has a very fulfilled life 
prototype. She puts a lot of emphasis on personal relationships and seems to be really the prototype of a happy, successful person. Because I find it's really important not to have success in business, but also in your personal life. For sure. Very cool. I will definitely look her up and check her out. If you could go back in time, knowing everything that you know now, and give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self, what would you say to 18-year-old Lydia? I would tell her, girl, believe in yourself, <laughs> because I know I know that I had to overcome a lot of um, a lot of these beliefs and, and struggles that we talked about, this mindset. And I, I did overcome it, fortunately, even before um, becoming th- 30 years old. But I wish I had done it earlier because I think a lot of us, actually all of us, have a lot more potential than we think we have. Uh, but we just don't dare dream big, right? And so I would now tell this 18-year-old Lydia that, you know, she can do anything she wants in the world, but she needs to open her mind to the idea that that's possible. And I really love the quote by Henry Ford, who actually said, uh, whether you believe you can or you can't, you're right. And I totally love that quote because it applies to language learning, success in business, actually everything. Okay. For people that really have struggled with languages their whole life, and they have listened to this entire podcast, and they're still doubting their ability that they, the individual listener who's listening to this right now, that they personally could actually become fluent in a language in a year or two. What do you say to that person? I say that it's absolutely possible to every single one person listening to this podcast. And I know it because I have I have worked with so many people who struggle with language learning for many years, even 15, 20 years, thinking that they are not good at language learning. And they now speak the language fluently because they really started to learn it effectively. And I want to pick just one example of a friend of mine, Lucas from Brazil, who was really bad at languages at school. He wanted to learn English, but he was like the worst in class. And his friends made fun of him that, you know, he's never going to learn English because he's just hopeless. And... Um, just uh, just uh, an example of what he is able to do today. Uh, last year, he had a talk in front of a thousand Russian-speaking people in Kazakhstan, uh, speaking in fluent Russian, having a talk about language learning, super, like really fluent for two hours. And he started the talk speaking uh, 10 or 15, up to, up to 15 other languages, because he just speaks so many languages today. And he's just 27 years old. So it is absolutely possible. But people need to find that way, like what works for you, how you can learn a language. Amazing. Okay, last two questions of travel questions. What are your top three favorite travel destinations you've ever been to that you would most recommend people check out? Okay, so I I will now promote my own country because I actually do recommend people to visit Slovakia. Um, I personally love this country. I'm based there and I, I'm, I'm okay staying there because the more I travel, the more I realize what a cool country I actually come from. You know, we have amazing mountains. We have amazing caves. We have castles that are like uh, from a fairy tale and uh, quite a lot of nature around you uh, in around cities. So uh, Slovakia is actually a really, a really cool country to go to. Uh, we pay with the euro, so it's really easy for anyone out there who who you know who uses euro. And um, yeah, it's uh, people are nice, food is good, weather is great. I mean, besides you know November to March, but <laughs> then we have snow mostly. So yeah, Slovakia would be my actually my choice number one. 
And then, uh, actually, like I would like to recommend, uh, maybe for nomads, something that would be interesting is uh, to consider Vienna as a place to be based in or to live in. I don't know if you heard, but Vienna is ranking really high in this uh, list of countries or places where uh, the quality of life is the best. And uh, so I personally really like Vienna. I think it has everything that a, a modern city should have. It might not have the best weather Uh, you know, in the winter, or it doesn't have the sea, if that's really important to someone. But if sea is not um, a must, then I think it might be an interesting spot for people to consider. And then the third is not a destination, but I would definitely recommend this trip that I did, and you did as well, the Trans-Siberian Express. I think it's it's uh, really a bucket list item that uh, people should go out there and just cross out of it because it's so cool and it was a great experience for me. Absolutely. We're, we'll link up actually the link for the Nomad Train if people want to do the Trans-Siberian in a group of nomads like I did. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, and awesome recommendations. You know, the other thing that's really amazing about Vienna for people that haven't been is even if you're just transitioning and you have an extended layover in the Vienna airport, one of the things that Vienna does that I think every city in the world should do is they have this facilitated whereby at the airport, if you have a layover of four hours or more, you can put your stuff in a locker, jump on an express train from the airport that shoots you into the old city, coolest part of Vienna. You get out, you can walk around, have coffee, have lunch, see all this amazing architecture, cobblestone streets in the old city, and then jump back on the express train, shoot back to the airport, grab your stuff out of the locker and get on your plane. And it is just amazing. So even if you have a short layover in the Vienna airport, I agree. Highly recommend that city. Awesome. And what you can also do is you can do the same type of trip to Bratislava because it's just 45 minutes from Vienna and it's even cheaper than going to Vienna. So next time you're there, you can just, you know, make a little trip to Bratislava. Well, and now I have you to visit. I was telling you that I've been to now over 75 countries, but I've not been to Slovakia. And I've heard only amazing things about Slovakia in general, Bratislava in particular. And so now that I have you there to visit, uh, it's definitely super, super high on the list. You're very welcome. Awesome. Last question. What are the top three bucket list items on your list, places you've never been that you most want to see? Uh, okay. So I've had it on my bucket list for a long time. I still haven't had a chance to go to Central America. So that's definitely on my list. I already speak the language, so it should be should be quite easy. Um, the second one is uh, New Zealand, which I believe is on the bucket list of many people. Uh, I, I've heard all good stuff about New Zealand. I'm amazed by the nature, so I definitely want to check it out. And the third one, I will mention one that I actually added on my bucket list on this very nomad cruise. I heard uh, someone talk about uh, Socotra in Yemen. And once I googled the pictures and saw those trees, I was like, oh, I want to check that out. You know, I definitely want to see that. Uh, so yeah, I'm putting it there. I know it's not so easy to get there, but I might just go one day. Yeah, this is an island. It's a Yemeni island where certain foliage, tree and plant types grow only there and nowhere else in the world. And so if you Google image search this this island, you will see this unbelievable stuff. And apparently, yeah, it's not easy to get to. They only have, you know, intermittent flights. I think they go from Cairo, Egypt 
out to this island and you go as part of a tour group, but it is really supposed to be a legendary epic bucket list item. So I have not been either, but it's also really high on my list. So that's an amazing pick. Awesome. Well, Lydia, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. And I want you to let folks know, first of all, how they can find you, follow you on social media, contact you and learn more about language mentoring your company and the opportunities you offer for learning languages. Yeah, so the website is actually very easy. It's languagementoring.com. And uh, we are on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. So feel free to follow us there. And of course, feel free to write me an email. Uh, The contact details are on languagementoring.com. Well, we are going to link all of this up in the show notes. So you can just go to one place at themaverickshow.com and just click on the show notes for this episode. We're also going to link up your TED Talk, which I want everybody to watch because it's amazing and now has like 6 million views for very good reason. So we'll link up the TED Talk. We're also going to link up all the books and everything else that Lydia recommended that you check out. One place at themaverickshow.com. Lydia, Thank you so much for being here. This was a blast. Thank you, Matt. It was a pleasure. All right. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Do you want to learn how to travel the world for a year plus with carry-on luggage only and look good while you're doing it? Go to themaverickshow.com slash packing to see a free recorded webinar and learn exactly how Matt does it. He shows you the luggage he uses, the specific items he packs, and the travel brands he likes most. Even if you're just looking to go on shorter trips, but pack more efficiently and eliminate your checked luggage, you won't want to miss this. You can watch the free recorded webinar at themaverickshow.com forward slash packing. Would you like to get Maverick Investor Group's white paper on real estate investing for digital nomads? How to buy U.S. rental properties from anywhere in the world and finance an epic international lifestyle? Just go to themaverickshow.com slash nomad. The report is totally free and available for you now at themaverickshow.com forward slash nomad.